Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see everyone after an extra hour of sleep. Nobody should fall asleep during the sermon today. We are in week number nine, and this morning we're looking at the book of Ruth. So if you would, if you've got your storybooks, uh, turn to chapter nine. Uh, we're beginning, it's page uh, 121. If you brought your Bible, unfortunately the Bibles in front of you in the pews are ESV, and the one we're reading from is NIV this week, and so we will have the words on the screen though. All right. I want to just go over a couple things before we launch into the, the book of Ruth, which is, which is just a fascinating book. I love this book. If I, as I have read, uh, over the past, this past week, just digging back into Ruth again, it, it really, there's so much and such a depth and a richness to, to this book of Ruth that, um, I want us to really just take hold of. And, one of the things that we've learned as we've gone through the story series, we're in the series of 31 weeks through the entire Bible, one of the things that we've learned about God himself is that he is creator. We see from the very beginning, week number one in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God began to create all things. And as creator, he is sovereign. He has complete and absolute and total control over all things at all times. God is the sovereign creator. He's the ruler. He's the director, the main character, the focus of, of every story in this, in this Bible that we have is God himself. It's all about him. We also see that mankind is created in the very image of God. And mankind is worth and value and dignity. And as mankind has been created in the image of God, they have been given a choice to follow God or rebel against God. And right away from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, we see mankind rebelling against Almighty God. They want to do things their own way. We want to go our own ways. And so mankind is sinful and rebellious, yet, yet, loved by God. Mankind is loved by God. And this, this, this book of Ruth, it drips this, this love of God for, for, for mankind and for people in particular just in such a beautiful way. And we see, number three, that God is on a rescue mission to redeem his people. God has set about on a rescue mission to redeem his people from the effects of their own sin and rebellion. God knows that we are sinful. God knows that we are rebellious. Yet he loves us and has gone on mission to redeem a people for himself. Now, last week in chapter 8, we looked at the book of Judges. And one of the things that we've, that we witnessed in the book of Judges is this kind of roller coaster or this pattern that we've seen happen over and over and over again. And the way this works out is this, is the children of Israel are brought into the promised land. And God is, in the book of Joshua, has given them rest. They've got rest from their enemies. They finally got to a place where they've established themselves in the promised land of God. And yet they begin to start this pattern of walking away from God. So they begin to fall into idolatry. The, the neighboring nations, it was too much of an allure to them with the idolatry and the worship of other gods. And so Israel begins to fall into sin and begin to, to walk away from God and his ways to serve foreign pagan gods. 
And this leads to oppression, as sin always does. Sin always leads to enslavement and oppression. Every single time. There is no sin that does not lead to some kind of enslavement in the end. It always leads to oppression. We see this very clearly in the book of Judges. The Israelite sin leads to oppression, which then leads the Israelites to cry out in repentance. They experience the, the effects of their own sin and rebellion. They begin to experience the fruit of following after other gods. And so as they, as they prostitute themselves to the Baals and the Ashtoreths and these other gods, they're, they give themselves to these gods, and these gods are ineffective at helping, redeeming, saving them. There's no hope with these other gods. And they experience the effects of their own idolatry, which leads them to repentance, crying out to God, and in God's incredible mercy and grace, he sends a deliverer, sends a judge, sends someone to redeem them from the effects of their own sin and rebellion. And God sends the various judges who liberate the people from the from the oppression of the other countries, which then sets them on a right path again to follow after God. And then after no time at all, this cycle starts over again. The allure of the other nations begins to creep in, and they're seduced away to follow other gods, which starts the whole sin, oppression, repentance, and deliverance cycle over and over and over again. Well, the way that the book of Judges ends the very last verse of the book of Judges ends this way. Everyone did as they saw fit. That's how it ends. Everyone did as they saw fit. There was no king in the land, and everyone did as they saw fit. There was no standard of righteousness. Whatever the people felt like doing, whatever they felt like saying, going, worshiping, they did it their own way. So that's how we're introduced into the book of Ruth. The Judges ends that way. Everyone did as they saw fit. Now we begin the book of Ruth. Now, the book of Ruth, in a lot of ways, begins to mirror, in, in, a, in a small scale, what we began to see in the book of Judges as a whole. So as the nation of Israel is really talked about in the book of Judges, now we focus down on three individuals in the book of Ruth, and it mirrors the very thing that we began to talk about last week in the book of Judges. It's a microcosm of this big picture of what's going on in the book of Judges. So if the book of Judges was a 30,000-foot flyover, an overview of the nation, the book of Ruth narrows in and zooms in to ground level as we begin to witness three people's lives and really one in particular. Now, what we read in the book of Ruth, I need to give you just a little bit of background, then we're going to pray and we're going to launch into this thing, is we're introduced to this nation called Moab. Okay, now Moab was, uh, they were a neighboring country to Israel, but they weren't friends. They had, their soccer teams didn't have any friendlies going on. No one, they weren't getting along. As a matter of fact, when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt and going to go into the promised land, the king of Moab hired Balaam to curse Israel. So the king of Moab went to Balaam and said, Hey, look, I want you to curse the people of Israel. I'll pay you money to do so. Balaam says, Look, I'll, I can only say what God tells me to say. And so Balaam goes to, to curse Israel, and the Lord says, I prevent you from cursing Israel. Instead, I want you to bless the people of Israel. So Balaam there is, instead of cursing Israel, which the, the king had hired him to do, 
he begins to bless Israel. In the meantime, as God is blessing his people instead of cursing them, what do the men of Israel do? The men of Israel go down to the, the Moabite strip club and begin to pick up some women. It's unbelievable. They begin to commit sexual immorality with the women of Moab. So as God is blessing Israel and pronouncing his blessing upon them, the men of Israel are like, forget this, we're going to go pick up some women. And they begin to commit sexual immorality with the women of Moab. Well, in the time of Judges, in the time of Judges, again, there's no love lost. They, they didn't like each other. The, the king of Moab ruled over Israel for 18 long, hard years. And we see that in Judges 3. Not only that, but the Moabites worshipped a god called Chemosh, where they would offer human sacrifices as part of the worship service. And so, as we look at this, the, the nation of Moab in itself, it, it's, it's loaded with all this history and understanding that these people of Moab were not our friends. They seduced us away from following God. They worshipped a foreign God that instituted human sacrifices. They led the people of Israel into, into sexual morality. There's all this connotation with Moab that we don't really get as we just launch into the book. But it's there. It's thick. That's Moab. Another thing that we want to understand as we launch into Ruth is this idea of a kinsman redeemer or a guardian redeemer. Now, a guardian redeemer or a kinsman redeemer, depending what translation you're, you're looking at, is, is, is part and parcel with this idea of redemption. And the book of Ruth is this laden with this idea of redemption. It's actually mentioned 23 different times in four chapters in, in Ruth. And what, re, what this kinsman redeemer would do is they would kindly redeem that which had been lost. And so, the reason this was important and the reason it was instituted in Israel is that if, if a woman had married, gotten married, had no kids, and the husband died, there, there was no retirement homes to go into. There's no pensions for her to fall back onto. There's no 401ks to help prevent, you know, her going into poverty as she gets older. Her children were the retirement plan. And so, for them, they had to find, what they would do is they, if, if a woman who had married someone, had no children, and the husband died, the next of kin had the responsibility to bring that woman under their care and under a roof and produce offspring with that woman to ensure that the inheritance of the land that each one of them had been given when they went into the promised land wasn't lost. So they would have to produce an heir for the dead husband. Now, for us in this day and age, you think, man, that's kind of, Man, I have, to, I have to marry my my brother's wife. If he dies, I mean, it's just it's like that's that's craziness as we think about it. But for them, this is a way in which we saw widows cared for, and 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 really provided for in a, in a place that they had. There was no other options for them, and so there was there was a concentric circles of who had the right to redeem the widow. And so it started with the brothers, go to the uncles, go to the cousins, and then go to the next of kin. And so it kind of had this outward effect of the family having a responsibility to care for their own their own family members, okay? So, does that make sense? Okay, because that's going to be all through here, and I want to make sure we're all on the same page with that. Okay, let's turn over to Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, or page 121 in the story, chapter 9. And as you turn there, we're just going to pray and ask the Lord to give us wisdom. So God, we thank you so much for your presence.
precious word. God, your word reveals to us Jesus Christ. Your word reveals to us our need for a Savior. And God, we pray today as we call upon your name that you would give us wisdom and understanding and discernment. Lord, help us to fix our eyes upon your glory and your majesty written across every page of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's begin in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, so that sets the context for us, in the days when the judges ruled, this has happened in the book, during the book of Judges, there was a famine in the land. So now we're given what's called the lower story. This is what's happening in, at the time on earth, what's going on. There's a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, like we said, this, this is loaded here. This is, people would have read this and thought, this was a very, very bad idea. I don't know what, what, it, what is this guy thinking, right? God had provided for his people a promised land. God had brought about a provision for his people. He said, this is where I will meet with you. This is where I will be your God. I promised you this land. And now when the going gets rough, there's greener pastures over with Moab, right? With, with Moab's God, with Moab's people. And so he left for a while to go to the country of Moab. Bad idea. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahalan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite woman, which would have also, alarm bells would have been going off. This is, again, a bad idea. They married these Moabite women, one named Orpah, in the other, Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malone and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So here we have a woman who, who and her, her, her husband and her two sons go into the country of Moab because they didn't feel like God was able to provide for them where they were. They seek shelter and refuge in Moab, find none. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to to the aid of his people by providing food for them. Now we're given the upper story. She's beginning to interpret what she sees happening on the earth through the lens of what God is doing. God is beginning to bring blessing and provision for his people. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where they had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, No, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me 
than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Here she is. She's interpreting what she is seeing with her eyes, what's happening to her through the lens of the upper story. The Lord's hand has turned against me, and it is bitter. And at this they wept aloud. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. Again, Orpah sees greener pastures somewhere else. Look, I'm out of here. Thank you for the, giving me the chance to leave. But Ruth clung to her. And this is the same word as we read in the beginning of Genesis when a man, when, when Adam sees Eve for the first time, he says, and a woman, a man will cling to his wife. And this, this is the same word that is used here. She clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went until they came to Bethlehem. This has been 10 years now since they've been in Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? She says, Don't call me Naomi. She told them, Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, which means pleasant? Why call me pleasant? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So we have this this, this scene in the town where, where Naomi comes back, and when she had left, she had left with a husband and two sons, and now she comes back, she's coming back empty-handed. The only one with her is Ruth the Moabite, which the people would have been a little skeptical of, okay, who is this Moabite woman who is with you? Why did you bring back a Moabite? Did you think your time in Moab would have, would have brought the Lord's blessing into your family? Everyone in the town would have been a little bit just, yeah, we kind of knew that was going to happen, Naomi. I mean, you didn't see that one coming? Let's look at chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Now, the Lord's care, the Lord's law, provided for the poor in the foreigner in their midst. And the way that they had done this is that in Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 24, we read, when you are harvesting in your field, this is God's law, and you overlook a, a sheath, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in the work of your hands. And so the Lord said, I want to be able to provide for the poor through when you glean, when you go through the fields and collect all the, the harvest, leave some of it for the people who are poor, who can't afford to buy it themselves. They can go and gather from your field. You are providing for them in this way. And so Naomi says to Ruth, hey, look, 
let's fall on the mercy of God here, and we'll find out if we can get any food. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseers of his harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. Notice how he's making sure, hey, she's the Moabite from Moab, right? He's making sure, he, like, hey, this, she's a little bit shady here, okay? We don't know, quite know what, what she's all about. She said, this is them recounting, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here until morning, till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where, where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And wherever you, whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. This is incredible mercy. At this, she bowed with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you noticed me? The foreign, a foreigner. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you have left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people that you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. She responds, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have standing of one of your servants. Now we get to mealtime. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here and have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. This is the first pickup line in the Bible. Okay? This is an ancient pickup line. This worked every time. <laughs> Have some bread. Dip it in the wine vinegar. Check me out. Okay. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain, and she ate all she wanted and had some left over. She got up to glean. Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah, which would have been about five and a half gallons, or this would have been about a half of a month's worth of wages. So in one day, she gathered about half of a month's worth of barley. She carried it back to town, and her mother, this would have been about 50 pounds, right? She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over, and she had, after she had eaten enough, and her mother-in-law asked, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Man, blessed be the man who took notice of you. I mean, she's like, hey, there's something going on here. You don't work for a day and get half a month's wages. Someone asked you to come over and dip the bread in the wine vinegar. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. To suspense build, the name of the man 
I worked with today is Boaz. She said, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish, until they finish harvesting all the grain, which would have been a couple of months. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, we're, we're, we're going to begin chapter 3. One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley in the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. This is a bit scandalous, but don't let him know where you are until he's finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, know at the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. All right? This is, do not tell your daughters to do this. Okay? This is, this is bad. Don't, don't do this. Okay? This is scandalous. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me. This is another translation. It says, spread your wings over me, like we had just read that. Boaz said to her, may the Lord spread his wings over you. Now she says, spread your wings over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. This is a marriage proposal. She's proposing to Boaz in this moment. And he said, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you have shown earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All of the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. And although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of of our family, there is another more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that the woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did, when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and the, placed a bundle on her. Then she went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how'd it go, my daughter? And then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Now, 
what happens next, we don't have time to read through the rest of this, is that Boaz goes to town, and there is a kinsman redeemer nearer to uh, Naomi and Ruth than himself, and he goes to the kinsman redeemer and says, hey, look, do you want to purchase the land back and be able to keep the the land inheritance in the family? And the guy says, sure, I'll do it. And you're like, oh, no, what's going to happen now, right? And then he says, oh, by the way, along with the land, you have to marry Ruth, the Moabite, okay? And at that, the guy says, uh, I think I'll pass, right? Maybe he's already married, and it's like, man, I don't want to get in all kinds of trouble, come home with a wife in a field, right? So he says, I think I'll pass, to which Boaz says, great. He purchases the land. He brings Ruth into his home. And we read this at the very end of in page 127 at the end of chapter 4. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he had made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout all of Israel. They have no idea what they're saying here. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse the father of David. Now, in this, in these brief few chapters in the book of Ruth, we're introduced to Naomi. Naomi had sought provision and care away from God's provided provision and care. She went full into the land of Moab, but returned empty. She said, don't call me Naomi when she returned. She said, call me Mara because the hand of the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And yet we see God's care for an impoverished widow. She had no hope. There was no hope for Naomi. When she returned, she was looking at a future of poverty, dying alone. And yet God cared for an impoverished widow. We also see Ruth, uh, the outsider, the foreigner. When they mention Ruth's name in here, it's always attached to Ruth the Moabite. They want to make sure everyone knows where she had come from, who her people were. The foreigner, the outsider, she's a widow without hope. She too is a widow. She too has really no hope of a future. She's gleaning behind the harvesters because that's what the poor people did. She stayed with Naomi in the face of poverty. And the Lord orchestrated the events in her life. And she somehow wound up in the field of Boaz, who was a kinsman redeemer. In Boaz, we see a redeemer who brings a foreigner, an outsider, a widow, one without hope. He begins to provide for her and is gracious to her. At the end of Ruth, we just read, but the women say this, he has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout all of Israel. 
meaning her son, her offspring. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. The book of Ruth ends with a genealogy that points to King David. And the way that the Gospel of Matthew, if you want to turn, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, the first book of the New Testament, the way that the Gospel of Matthew opens is also with a genealogy. Instead of looking forward, this genealogy looks back. And they look back and they... We begin to read in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. She was another outsider. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And on and on and on until we get to the very end in verse 16. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. When they said to, to Naomi, when the women said, may he become famous in Israel, they had no idea that there would be an offspring of Ruth who would one day be the Messiah, the great Redeemer. There is a Redeemer that God has provided for His people. And in this genealogy of Jesus Christ is a, is, is a Moabite, is a foreigner, is a widow, is one without hope, one without a future. And she becomes grafted in to the lineage of Jesus Christ. She's woven into the tapestry of redemption. That somehow Ruth without hope is brought into God's family with God's people. Ephesians 2, verse 12. You don't have to turn there, but Ephesians 2, verse 12 says, we, are, we ourselves were once alienated and foreigners to the household of God. But because of Christ Jesus, we have been brought near and brought into the household of God. That we ourselves were like Ruth. We had no hope. We had no future. We were outside of God's family. But we had a Redeemer. We had one who brought us near to himself, who brought us into the family, who not only unites us to himself, but unites us to one another. It's Jesus Christ. He has become the Redeemer par excellence. And in him we have redemption. Ephesians 1 verse 7. This is just beautiful retelling of the history of God's work on our behalf. In Ephesians 1, 7, we read this. In Him, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption. We have been redeemed through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. It is because of Christ Jesus that we ourselves have been redeemed. The book of Ruth points us to a great, big God. This is a God who can bring famine as well as abundance. He can not only stop the rains, but he can bring the harvest of the barley. He cares for widows and foreigners and who even 
orchestrates the mundane things of life, like the field you're going to harvest the barley in, the people you work with, the family that you're placed into. He orchestrates even the, the, the tiny details of our lives according to his purposes. Every little thing is not by chance. It wasn't by chance that, that Ruth attached herself to Naomi. It wasn't chance that Elimelech's family was the family of Boaz as well. It wasn't by chance that Ruth happened to harvest in the field of Boaz. It wasn't by chance that she happened to, to propose to him in marriage and he, he said yes. Those things were all orchestrated by the very hand of Almighty God. This is what God has done. He has orchestrated those events in our lives as well. Where we work, where we live, who our family is, who we're around. God has orchestrated all these seemingly mundane events to accomplish his purposes in our lives. He is gracious, he is merciful, and he alone can fulfill. Naomi went to find life apart from God's abundant provision. She came back empty. There is no life apart from God. John 10.10 says, The thief comes to steal, to kill, destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. That is who Jesus Christ is. And we think of abundant life. It's not the American dream. It's not a bigger home, more cars, larger bank accounts. The abundant life according to God's word, is a thriving and growing relationship with him. That is where abundant life is found for us. It's not found anywhere else. And we see in this God beginning to weave the outsiders into the tapestry of redemption. That is who we are. I want to encourage us today, as we close with communion, as we celebrate the gift of Jesus Christ for us on our behalf, the very thing that has brought us near to God through the cross of Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, that brings us near to himself, that we are, we are so dependent upon him. Let us not try to find life anywhere but in Jesus Christ. Let us recognize as we call out to him that our hope, our future, is with Him alone. That in no one or nowhere else can we find a fullness of life apart from Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You today that You have made a way for us. God, that even in our rebellion and sin, You have provided a Redeemer. That You have brought us near to Yourself through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And today, oh God, we want to find our life in you. God, I pray that you would help us to turn away from anything that would promise life apart from you. Jesus, that we would cling to you. We would know you. We would love you. We would fellowship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.